Is that it? We ready? Mm. 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 Hello and welcome. I'm Steve. And I'm Al. And I'm Brad. And I'm Rasmus. And this is Fools with Tools, a podcast for the retrospective reclaimist. I am so fucking shocked that you did not interrupt. You must be sleepy. Well, with hindsight, I could have actually gone back in and... Uh... <laughs> Alright, so here's our segue, guys. What we're talking about today <laughs> is... What have you been up to? Uh, was that a question? Or was That's that a the order that we do it in. A? B. <laughs> What? Uh, what? What? What have you two been up to? Ooh, uh, eating meat at a barbecue—a classic English barbecue where it was the most rainfall we've had in about six months. <laughs> uh, but it was good. It was nice. Yeah. It was lots of meat. Good. So much meat. Yeah, I smell and... like bacon, but not because of the meat, because of the smoke. Yeah, and the tiniest chopping board ever. At one point, it was just the back of a log. <laughs> Which all chopping boards are, really. Yeah. Exactly. This was actually just a tiny bit of kindling that I was using as a chopping board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it works, it works. Yeah, it was enjoyable. Cool. What's was... Rasmus been up to? I got them dirty. I liked it. <laughs> you did get very dirty. Yeah. Well, I cleaned up an old vice and. It was an interesting consistency of old grease and dust and <laughs> lying rust and all that. Yeah. Just I, thick I, grime. I basically started cleaning myself with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just easier to scrape it off rather than trying to wash it off. Nice. Yeah. It's it's fine. It's fine. I'm, yeah. I'm not clean, but it's better. Yeah, I don't stay. We're going to do a restoration video now. <laughs> I've heard they're all the rage. I, I had I had Eric in the back of my head the whole time I was doing it, but no, I, I refrained from. Yeah, um, yeah. So that segues really nicely into <laughs> uh, into our subject because I want to talk about the past. Yes, well, more about sort of hindsight and retrospect and. Um, being able to look back on things because as we're coming up to make a central, I thought it was quite nice to kind of not do a year review, but look back at things that maybe we've done that we'd like to do a different way or things that with a fresh set of eyes actually look a bit different. And this came apart because um, Brett told me a great story today about uh, a very recent trailer for a movie that's coming out, which some uh, nostalgic fans of the nineties might've got rather excited about. Um, and others were just thought it was shit and looked rubbish. The Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Oh. Ah, yeah, it looks awful. Exactly. So, um, yeah. Brett, do you want to tell the story? It was a nice little anecdote. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's not much of a lead-up other than they... <laughs> no, come on. Tell them about the trailer. The anticipation. All right, here there was a poster months ago, yeah. you know, teasing it. Yeah. So, a lot of us nostalgic nerds and video game players know Sonic the Hedgehog and everyone got pretty excited when they announced that there was going to be a movie about him um, and then Jim Carrey got billed in it <laughs> Dr. Robotnik which I don't know seemed to kind of fit I guess in a weird way even though he hasn't done a movie in years and with all of his current ridiculousness but <laughs> the thing that came out of it was they released the trailer recently and it floored all of the people wanting their you know nostalgic little hearts to be catered to and they they produced a three-dimensional something <laughs> or other it was, definitely wasn't a hedgehog yeah that was meant yeah. to represent you know our past that we grew up with this iconic figure and it went so poorly it was received so poorly that, you know what it looked like, though? You know the... Um, Jumanji. The... It looks like the kid on Jumanji when he turns into a <laughs> no. monkey. That's exactly what he looks like. He looks like Peter. You know the, the, the terrible taxidermy fox that uh, <laughs> yes. Owl turned into you? Yeah, that was that terrifying. <laughs> it looks like that. It's yeah. fucking awful. So here's, here's what I found out came out of it. There were a lot of people up in arms about it. 
you know, fair play to them. But like beyond the usual sort of internet backlash. Oh yeah. Oh, wasn't... I didn't quite like the look of that. Or they've cast a woman in that role and that's wrong. But yeah. Like, it was like this serious. Was full on like who, who signed off on this? Like it doesn't look enough like Sonic <laughs> and it doesn't look enough like a unique new interpretation of it to be. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know, it wasn't accepted. like, it wasn't like uh, what Michael Bay did with Optimus Prime. Right. Where it still looks pretty yeah. badass yeah. for like a big fucking truck. Yeah. And you can't, make a CGI thing that looks like a 1980s cartoon because it would be terrible. Right. But here, yeah. herein lies the big, uh, what, vindication mm. of how things have changed and, and kind of looking back at this <laughs> this historical figure, if you want to call it that much. Um, the internet decided it was going to take it upon itself to take screenshots of parts of the trailer and then redo it or fix it. Yeah, and <laughs> Photoshop what Sonic could look like. Like, look, we understand that you want to make a 3D, you know, visual effects creature in this thing, but he doesn't. He doesn't even do what he's supposed to do. He doesn't look like who we want. So they took it upon themselves, photoshopped a bunch of the scenes, bunch of YouTube videos and stuff. Later, the director, I believe, posted a tweet that said, "We hear you loud and clear, and we're fixing it." Ooh. And as far as I can tell, that's the yep. first time that's ever even happened. Because this is set to release sometime in the near future. Yeah, yeah, it's relatively And soon. the fact that a production company would actually listen to the people that this is targeted targeted towards and say, yeah, we we get it. Yeah. Like, we fucked we're, up. We're and, going to change the film yeah, because of what you've, what you've said. Yeah, and who knows, yeah. who knows what that's going to mean for reshoots or... You know, just the time and and money it's probably going to cost to get the ILM or whoever's doing it. You know, it, it's definitely not ILM. No, they <laughs> would have let that happen. But you got to. I, I look at that. It's, as, who, it's whoever got sacked for redoing Henry Cavill's mustache in the just. There you go. They're like we got to hire this guy to make the hedgehog. So the fact that you know times have changed enough to, uh, you know, people using the internet for the greater good. And, and Al had a really good spin on it where it really wasn't the internet reacting in the normal troll way of, of getting upset because it didn't cater to all of their needs because it's all, you know, opinion and perspective. This was legitimately people trying to offer constructive criticism, which the director actually, you know, tipped his hat to and said, we, you know, listen to criticism and it was constructive and whatever we're redoing it. So somebody having the, hindsight yeah, i guess yeah. if we want to use that to to be able to look at the history of what video game movies have done because it got equated to things like mario brothers you know <laughs> movie and whatever so to bring it back around to the main topic that we were going to touch on today it's just things have changed things have changed a lot and this is a huge example of you know it's not going to be some crazy blockbuster movie that's going to change no but i i I'm more likely to go and see it now because they've they've gone to the effort of changing it. Oh yeah, and if it'll probably turn out better and won't look as shit. So just out of respect, you know, already. I mean, unless it's some massively clever market employee, like oh, we haven't got any, any Nintendo Wii's left. Uh. <laughs> you have, haven't you? <laughs> quick, everyone needs to buy one. Quick. Um, yeah, I'm. I've got more respect now for that film. Yeah, which probably would have been a bag of shit, but now they've they've actually gone to the effort. And I think it's that, it's that middle ground of the, they could have just released the film, looked back on the poor box office, box office return. Nobody would have been, been to see it. And they've gone, ah, oh, if we'd have changed that hedgehog, you know, if we'd have had hindsight and we'd look, you know, 2020 hindsight and we could have gone back and changed it. It's like, no, they had the opportunity. They've got it now and they're doing it. Um, so it's that in between. And I think that's really powerful. I think the fact that they've, um, had some a had some humility, mm-hmm. not gone. Oh, it's. A, I mean, that film is that's obviously gone through fucking like research groups. You don't just release yeah. a film. You don't just produce something that costs a, a studio, you know, I don't know, hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. uh, without it being rigorously tested. So somebody, like you said, Brett, somebody has signed that off. <laughs> In fact, more than one person has signed that off. No one sat there, like when George Lucas made the prequels and gone, oh, yeah, George, it's fine. Yeah, that's that's kids love hearing about trade negotiations. Go yeah. for it. Like, <laughs> yeah, somebody's clearly learned from it because we, you know, a lot of us saw the documentary that happened about the prequels. Mm. The uh, the people against George Lucas yeah. was the documentary, and they talked about it in the movie or in the documentary how George would come in with all of the ideas yeah. on a 
yellow legal pad and basically say, this is the movie and no one had the guff to stand up and, and say, this is not going to do well. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is just a prime example of how the times they are a change in and people are a little bit more apt to look at history repeating itself if they continue in the same direction. So I like the idea that hindsight is leading to foresight. Nice. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. Is it, it's not so much hindsight. It, it's it's that learning from the um, learning from the past. It's not looking back and going, "Oh, we should have changed that." It's it's like Al said, having the humility to say, "Actually, no, you know, look at all of the things that have uh, all the films where they've not listened in the past and fucked it up." And, and I, I think that, like, I really do think that Al, um, you saying about humility is the key aspect there because the the problem with hindsight is the fact that people do tend to like i mean i'll do it in the workshop i'll be plowing on with something and going no i'm just going to fucking keep going i'm going to ignore all these issues that i can see coming up and i'm just going to keep going because i'm doing this and if i keep doing it it's going to work and then afterwards going Oh, fuck, I really should have not done <laughs> yeah. that. Or if only I'd have done that one thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You knew that you were doing anyway. Yeah, and um, it's like running up to a brick wall and expecting to get through just by beating your head at it enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's that that um, the ability to stop and go. Okay, yeah, this this is not good. This is not going to plan. This is not mm. a, a Sonic the Hedgehog. This is a weird blue fuzzy thing <laughs> with a face. But that's the thing. Um, it's not. It's not like they've made the, the. It's not like they made a film, and then go went. Oh, we'll we'll get it right next time. You yeah. Know, when the sequel comes out, we'll make sure he looks better because the fans yeah. want it. It's like they haven't even done it. They haven't even done it yet. Um. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it's like not going to be the biggest arse ache in the world to change it because all the shots have been done, all the voices have been recorded. You know, they don't need to. Yeah. Completely redo everything. It's literally just one character. Yeah, uh, unless they did the same with Tails, and he actually is the fox. From that. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be amazing! Um, I'm I'm interested in in this idea though, where um, you know, where does your pride get in the way? Hmm. And this this um, what was the word you used again? I think the director was being very humble, like humble, humility, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, the humility of it, where we in our day to day with the projects that we try and do. And even, you know, in the desk job and stuff, it's like, where do you learn to uh, cut ties with the bad ideas because your pride's getting in the way, you know, and what stops you from making the right decision nine times out of 10 is your own pride or stubbornness getting in the way to say, no, no, no. Yeah. Like if I, you know, Rasmus, if I keep beating my head against the brick wall, <laughs> eventually it'll go through to the other side. And you're like, that's not how, but is, is, it, is it like a, is it like a point of no return thing? Like, well, I've smashed my head in through three quarters of this wall, and it, it, you know it's not it's not getting any less painful. So I might as well just keep going. Right. I've already invested this time. Like I'm, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to throw away all That's, that investment. I was going to say it, it comes yeah. down to investment because with what we do, it's and and what these movie studios do. If the movie's ninety percent done and they've spent a hundred million dollars on the production of it, yeah. as a business, they will not pull back and reshoot the whole thing. And nine, you know, they did that with the justice league stuff and it Fuck ended up know. biting them in the ass even more. Yeah. yeah. And that's solely, you know, the comic books relationship with anybody that wants to watch DC, anything nowadays. Um, no, but they have had a chance. They've done it over and over again. They keep hiring Zack Snyder. Well, yeah. <laughs> so they keep going wrong. But, but when it comes to, you know, downgrade it without, without there being a thousand people involved in businesses yeah, and investors yeah. and stuff like that, when it comes to our own, stuff and our own work like rasmus when you're working on new projects and when when you were working on the hangers like the clothing hangers right you had a bunch of different ideas i remember the prototypes you were showing off the prototypes and stuff but how did you know when to like either tell yourself to stop or no this isn't going to function well or like where where did you make your decisions was it pride and stubbornness thinking you could achieve a goal and that's why you ended up with a different piece in the end or it's a little bit of both, I think. Um, I usually do client work, so I have a deadline more often than not. So I try to just structure myself and say, I have this much design time, and after that, I need to find a prototype. And after that, I need to find a version of that prototype I like, and then I need to deliver. So <laughs> it's sort of like I need to figure out at least the 
the least bad version of what I have in mind, and then the best way of producing that. Mm. And are you, are you involved in the client throughout that whole process, Rasmus, or is that something that's kind of in your hands and then until the end? No, I uh, specifically on the clothes hangers, I only gave them two different versions. Right. And I have, in my sketchbook, I think I have 15 designs. Okay. And I basically just had to look at what I could feasibly achieve and what would be an interesting challenge for me. And then just went to town and tried to actually make a prototype and test my idea. And yeah, I took a few versions and a few different ways of going about it from starting stock and forging it down and different ways of actually going about making different parts. Yeah. But when it comes to clothing hangers, the biggest challenge for me was making the swivel rivet in them and oh, yeah. the cooling needed for that. And that was sort of the only thing I sold the client on was that it should swivel. Yep. But they didn't do it. That was just something I said and I wanted to do. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, uh, that's... That's interesting because again, that's that's your pride, and that's you want you want to do something because you want to affect this product because you're putting love into it, you're putting effort into it, it's your design. So there is a certain level of um, not arrogance, but like pride in in what you're doing and and yeah. it being yeah. your product. You could you could have just made what somebody else made. You could have just copied another design. You could have just done exactly what they said. But you're kind of putting yourself on the line. So I think there's a flip side to this as well. We, we talked about humility, but like there's a, there is also the other side of like. You've asked me to do this because you want you want my opinion, you want my input. You know, You're like yeah, and um, it was a big client job, and it was a lot of money in the end. Yeah. So it's sort of like I need to deliver not only clothing hangers, but the clothing hangers are a part of a big set piece of a wardrobe right. and a staircase, and yeah. So it 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 was the clothing clothing hangers was a small part of it, but it was sort of the one thing that they would constantly be taking out and looking at yeah well the rest would easily fade into the background right i mean that's that's another case of sort of pick your battles as well isn't it like if, if yeah if i can let if i can get this one through then i don't mind about the other ones um that's weird because why why do we think like that why are we so precious about certain things going on like we, we talk about like investing time and then not wanting to go back because you pass the point of no return like that time that's passed is irrelevant mm. It's like it doesn't matter how much time you put into it. Like being precious, I mean, I don't know if it's a nostalgia thing, but like, why are we so precious about? I've put so much time and effort into this. It's like I, right? I think actually that's what? called the sunk cost fallacy. Yes, absolutely. And it's the fact that you have already invested so much time that it feels like an immense loss to just yeah. cut there and leave it. So you feel like you have to toss you more to money into it, it or more time just to try to get through on the other side and have something left for it. I mean, there's there's been points where I've I've done that and I don't even want to finish it. Like I'm not even happy with yeah. it. But like I, I I've got I've got so invested in the thing that I'm doing. It's like I'm just gonna I just need closure. Like even though I hate it, I just want closure. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm I'm just not mature enough to kind of to switch that switch off. Yeah, I think I think that that's one of the the beauties of 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 hindsight though is the fact that you can look back and you say you can say like the last 10 projects I I kept plowing on and I kept doing that yeah. thing and it was shit and I wasn't happy with it and I don't know why I even bothered carrying on with it. But this one, oh, this one's going to be different. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still going to carry on. It's like, yeah. well, actually, actually, no, you can look at it and you can say, you know what, every, every single one of, every single time that this has happened, it's ended up being shit and I've ended up not being happy and I've had to restart it all anyway. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm three quarters of the way through. Why don't I just stop and, you know, start? And then I, I don't have to spend that last quarter finishing something that I'm going to throw away anyway. Yeah. Like, and, and I think that's where hindsight comes in because it it, it kind of leads into that whole uh, experience and, like you say, like that, that maturity, which comes from the experience of, of knowing that actually it's not worth it. It's, like you say, the, 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 the fallacy of... of Oh, well, I've put loads of time into it, so I need to finish it. It's like, actually, you, you you don't. You can you can step away and use that that other half a day or day or whatever to do something that's actually worth doing, rather than just wasting time finishing something that you don't want to finish. I think that's why I've gotten really comfortable telling people that come to me. It's it's usually close friends or family members that'll come to me and ask. You know, oh, hey, I was looking at these, you know, hanging brackets for a shelf and they're they're forged from 
some seller retail, you know, store online. And I go, oh, they, they have this really cool hammered look to them and blah, blah, blah. Could you make something like that? And it takes about 30 seconds for me to click on the link, see how much they're charging, and then go, yeah, you should buy from them. <laughs> like, And that's something that I didn't... Those cast aluminium uh, <laughs> hammered effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look great. But I, I've had to get really comfortable doing that because I know in the end it is... I've I've done that prideful situation of going, ah, they want me and it's going to be me. And even if they agree to a price that's more than the thing online, it's kind of besides the point because one, most of the time I don't want to do it and I have no pride in the project. Mm -hmm. It's more of just a, I can make the thing and they asked me to make the thing. It used to happen with graphics and, and design work all the time too. You'd quote somebody nine, 90% 90% of the time they wouldn't be happy with it. So you'd work out a quote with them that they did accept, but you didn't really have your heart in it. And at that point you can't really cut it off 90% of the way through. You have to finish it. But if you had the hindsight or, you know, you get the hindsight afterwards and go, I shouldn't have even I said yes. Said, I should have said no. I yeah, just like, should have yeah. said no. You're not happy about doing it. So you're not enjoying it and you don't want to, you're not putting the, you're not able to put the work in that you should be doing because they're not paying you properly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think what you what you were saying, Rasmus, about the the sunken cost thing. Um, for me, hindsight seems to be this throwaway thing, like a kind of "oh, I told you so." You know, yeah. it's this smug afterthought of like, um, you know, I I know better. So even even like future future Al is like just a smug prick, and he's like, "Oh well, I told you you should have done that." So instead of instead of kind of a prick as well, yeah, he's well, no, past Al's pretty cool. The, um, <laughs> I just that just said that. The, um, <laughs> the idea of hindsight being this throwaway thing, um, is there a sort of healthy mechanism where you can you can actually do something about that and like record it or write it down or you know help use it? Because because I'm always like, oh well, should have done it that way, and then just move on instead of going right. I'm going to write down what I did and 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 make it like a list. Like when Izzy talks about going into um, places of work and like just basically evaluating people and seeing where you can save time and going back. And, you know, a lot of the time he's in there with like stubborn guys who've been doing it for, for 20, 30 years and they don't want to be told anything because they're stuck in the ways and the pride. Yeah. Um, and he can just very objectively work out ways to improve efficiency. Um, and I think that's, that's something that would help me is to be able to look back and instead of just going like, Oh, well, Oh, well, should have done it that way. Never mind. Actually going, right. Let's spend ten minutes and just you know somehow come up with a better idea or record it or think of a think of a better approach. So the next time I come in, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it way better. I'm gonna do it way more efficiently. Um, I don't do that. That's something I think I should learn to do. Yeah, because I I think like that's a really um, kind of common thing. I think, and even down to like I know I've done it before where I've um, I've needed to use a, a tool or whatever and like that particular hammer's got a broken handle, but I only ever think about it when I'm... Because uh, why would you? You'd never think about a, a hammer handle being broken unless it was broken. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> Sorry, I, I only ever think about it being broken when I need to use it. Yeah. And then I use it and put it back down. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll remember to pick that. And you never do. So, like, because I've done things like that in the past, now, if I've, if I've got a tool that I know is broken, but it's, like, broke, but still kind of usable, but it's going to mm. do a shit job then I'll either like actually leave it out, but more likely I'll fully break it so it's completely not usable. So I'll cut the handle off of it as soon as I'm done with it. Cut the handle off. Good shout. So you're like, you just go the other extreme. Yeah. Well, yeah. As in like, because that then forces me to fix that. I I try to force myself into correcting whatever it is that I fucked up in that process sort of thing. Um, So I don't just like become complacent and just keep making those same mistakes over and over mm. again but i mean is, is that is that one of the the culprits then complacency you know I can, I can imagine this back to the sonic thing like i can imagine this just just a generic shitty movie you know there's no actors in it um i can't remember who's doing the voice of sonic like jim carrey who's not been in a film for 20 years so you know already they're not targeting this film at kids because kids don't play sonic and no one under the age of 20 would know who Jim Carrey is. So yeah. it's clearly aimed at 
us and our generation. Um, but they've, they've just gone through the motions. They've gone through the motions of getting a licensed property and churning out a shit film. You know, there will be no decent screenwriters, no decent director, apart from the fact that he's humble. Um, <laughs> and the CG is obviously shit. So they're just, they're literally just going, right, we need the bet, you know, we need, we need Paul Mart, Paul Mart, Mole Cop, whatever he's called, Paul, 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 Blatt, Blatt. Paul, Blatt. Paul Blatt, you know, just go through the fucking motions, make this film for as little as possible, and, and we're just making money. It's just a profit making scam. Yeah. Um, so is, is, is that, that, is that, that complacency of everybody involved? Just going to like 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 everyone wanted at, at, at fucking the Skywalker Ranch, just sat there with Lucas watching the the dailies, yeah, and nobody going, "This is really wank." Like, yeah. this, there's not there's no story. It looks terrible. CGI Yoda is terrible. Why are we doing like why are we nobody nobody's just going why are we doing this because they're all just going through the motions. And does it take somebody to stand up and just go? Fucking hang on a minute. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People love Sonic. <laughs> I, I think I think we're in a position now, and I know it's filtering down, but a lot of times people are scared to speak up like that mm. for fear of either, you know, losing their job or being shown yeah. as not part of the it's the herd mentality, right? Yeah. One person standing up against that to say or even, you know, against yourself, if you're in a small team working on a project or if it is just you individually. And you are looking at your work as a whole and saying that, you know, well, I don't want to question this because I've clearly gotten to a point where I can make work and people want to spend money on it. So I must know what I'm doing. Or, you know, a lot of us have a pretty, pretty good kick to our ego. Most of the time we're going, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing, but I've run into plenty of people that do, they, they get enough small successes or they become successful in some facet of, of their work. And it's like no one will step up to question it, yeah. you know? And they don't question themselves because they're just hearing it from every side that what they're doing is either right or the new cool way to do it. You know, we have we have the TV show that remains nameless that people make knives after now. And, you know, there's <laughs> tons of people out there. I, I've met enough knife makers that are very talented people, talented blacksmiths that know a lot about the metallurgy and why this over this. And, you know, the, the common person's not going to know the difference between 1095 and 1084, you know, and be able to really know what's going on on a molecular level, molecular level. So what you end up with is a pretty big wash of mediocre builders mm. And everybody buying it and spending lots of money on them. And so everyone thinks they're right. They become in that Lucas mentality where it's <laughs> like, well, I'm just going to make another one because I know what I'm doing. And then everyone's yeah. like, yep, I, he, he sells stuff. So he, he has to know yeah. what he's doing. That, that's a bit of herd mentality as well. Sort of enough people saying this is good. And yeah. then other people trying it and saying, yeah, it's better than the shit version. And moving on from there, you end up with people not just sticking to mediocre results because it's better than the worst result they've had themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about with uh, Tim Cunningham mm. having the shop door, and he doesn't have a welder or, or a belt grinder or anything yeah. like that. But he get by, and that's because he put uh, he, he's organized his production around the tools he has mm. and what he got room for. Yeah. So rather than saying, oh, well, every every black out there has got a welder, I need a welder, or every blacksmith out there has got a 2 by 72 uh, belt grinder. He's just gone, I, I don't or need those press things. press or a machine hammer or yeah. anything like that. It, uh, <laughs> same for me. I've got a shit little stick welder that I have used and built gates and railings with yeah. because I hardly do welding at all. And the rest of production, I work around it. I started talking to a laser cutting company to get half-cut blanks of production's just to ease up the drawing out steps, and that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, and no, like you say, I think I think complacency is is a it's a it's a weird one, and I think that the herd mentality of of kind of well, I mean that that goes into the the thing that comes up all the time about people want or people thinking they need to have all the gear to be able to do stuff, um, and like you say, it, it's it's not having that one person in the the room that's willing to stand up and go, no, what the fuck are you talking about? You don't, you don't need that. You don't need to do this or you need to stop because what you're doing is shit. Cause yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but like I genuinely have been in the shop on, 
on a near weekly basis and started having a go at myself out loud saying, Stephen, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you still carrying on? Just stop and walk away. And actually having to say that out loud to to stop myself from carrying on. And I love, and I love how you call yourself Stephen like your own mother. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I'm having a go at myself. It, Stephen! It, yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly the tone as well. But yeah, sorry, Brett, go. Uh, uh, God damn it, that kind of, that kind of lost me. <laughs> I, I was going to mention something about the the ability to have all the tools and everything, you know, just so you equate it back to the, the George Lucas thing. Cause I, I do think enough people know about the prequels and have thoughts and feelings about him, but he was a guy that was effectively, I like Phantom Menace. All right. Put well, it there. better than fucking last Jedi. It's quiet for a reason. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, somebody with all the tools and all the production money in the world, who is effectively infallible in that, position um no one's able to offer the constructive criticism mm-hmm. i think that's where it comes I, I think the reason why more people aren't able to stand up is one we don't really cater to constructive criticism because people's pride gets them people's pride gets in the way right so if you were able to stand up and have a really good argument it's why lawyers exist you know in the judicial <laughs> system no matter what your thoughts and feelings are about it but there are people that are good at arguing constructive criticism or or lying or lying bring <laughs> <laughs> back around to jim carrey there's a whole movie about it <laughs> um but i i always had it happen in my uh design and illustration courses going through university where it, there's a specific type of person that can offer constructive criticism without um, demoralizing the person or getting them on the defensive, right? If you're able to do, say, the compliment sandwich, which we've talked about before, <laughs> that's a really easy tactic to be able to build somebody up, slip a constructive criticism in the middle, and then end it with something good. But as far as creative work goes, you know... Unless it's a Scandinavian sandwich where it's just, like, open and doesn't even have a lid. Yeah. That's... <laughs> hey! <laughs> but I, I don't think there would be enough people... Uh, say in that room with George Lucas who could stand up because they were all, you know, pretty cheaply hired writers because George was basically going to do the whole thing. And yeah. even well, though they're, also, had... they're getting paid, they're getting paid. So why would you? Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly. you know, and they get to put it on their, their CV, record yeah. that they had, I created this fucking, I worked on a fucking star Wars movie. But is that, is that then the, the, it's not the opposite as such, but it's the foil to what Rasmus was saying about complacency. Um, is necessity the the savior in this scenario? Then, so you, you can, if you've got if you've got everything, you've got no hunger, have you? You've got no passion, you've mm. got no drive. You can just churn shit out; doesn't matter. But if you if you only have the ability to do a certain set task because you've only got what the right tool, you know, you only got a set number of tools. It's 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 making things more purposeful. Nothing's as throwaway. Nothing's as, as flippant or complacent because you can't. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll fix it in post. Mm. Um, don't worry about it. We can fucking CGI his lip out after. Oh, it doesn't matter. One. Yeah. And um, but if you if you know if you if you if you have to go into that film and you you haven't got a CGI budget, so you have to do everything practical. It's going to look better for starters. Um, but you're going to use you're going to you're going to be really smart and, and purposeful about everything you do because I can't shoot that shot because. Um, there's going to be a real puppet there. Yeah, you can you know? see the person's hand. So you're having to think yeah. about everything a little bit more. Um, so I think I think this idea of um, of hunger and necessity are really important because it's it's making you value things more. It's making you value time more. It's making you value material more. So Steve, like you say, if you go back and then um, have to rethink about how you did something, basically because you've only got a certain run, a bit of scrap left. Like um, we're making this project. Um, Jess is helping me with. Um, and I had to fit out a certain template on the material that I had. Um, and on first glance, I was just like, oh, fuck it, no, it's not going to fit. We're going to have to do it a totally different way. But then I went in, I invested more time. I literally drew, redrew it in the computer, in Illustrator, and then I was able to, like, tessellate things and rotate things and scale things, and I could make it fit. And, like, I would never been able to do that if I'd just gone ahead the classic Al way and just cut it you know, ask questions later, cut first. Um, But I invested more time sitting down, opening the computer, drawing it out. Like I've drawn the plans for something. It's irrelevant. I'm never going to use it again. 
But just doing that actually saved because didn't have to change the plans, you know, didn't have to get any more material. Yeah. Um, and it was it was because I didn't have enough material. So it was that it was that um, hunger and necessity that made me go and actually do a better job. Mm. And in hindsight, yeah. if it, if I fucked up, had to cut it down, make it smaller, ruin the project, and then looked back and gone, oh, you know what? I probably could have, I could have made that fit. Yeah, because I think I think that's like that loops back around quite nicely to to a point Brett made earlier on that if if you're if you're looking at hindsight, hindsight becomes foresight. Like that's yeah. that's the beauty of it. If you're if you're doing a project twice, then or if you're doing something even vaguely similar, you can look and go, oh, "I fucked that up before. I won't do it again." Like like you're saying about that. Like we we've had it before where we've been doing um, uh, getting blanks cut out, um, going off to the laser cutter, and we know now that actually if we're going to get say 50 done we might as well get 60 done because then it's half a sheet of steel and we just pay for the half a sheet rather than paying a premium because um you know you you're using an odd size bit of steel sort of thing yeah um but again that's weird that's that um i'm trying to be economical but it it's going to cost me more to be economical yeah well your gut instinct is to be like no no that's wrong that's wrong that's just maths but then you're like ah but (laughs) yeah exactly and i mean that's the thing is 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 that comes from experience and that comes from hindsight of going oh fuck i I should have done that because as it turns out you're always going to fuck up at least one so you're always going to need a spare so yeah at at least once at least (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's Um, the manhattan thing of like living in the past and the present and the future all at the same time like if you can retrain your brain to not just be this linear thing, yeah. Like oh, next time, next time. Like if it's always fucking next time, then you, you you're not living in the moment. But if you can if you can appreciate what you did last time, what you're going to do next time, what you're doing right now, yeah, all in the same thought process. Yeah, and I think like because you, you made a, a good point about like um, the necessity of something, meaning that you need to put that effort in. It's like it's the difference between doing a, a film where you can take a hundred shots. Yeah, uh, or do a hundred takes, and doing a play where you've got one chance to get it right, and that's it. So you you put that much more effort and thought into it. You know, you you think about it before you go on stage and go, "Fuck, I need to make sure that you know I'm stood on my mark. I need to make sure that that's there. I need to make sure that I'm holding that right prop." Whereas it's like, "Oh fuck, I'll just do it in the next take. It's fine." Like, it's, 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 like, it's like like film camera. Like I've got a colleague who does um, full frame photography on film. And so yeah. on slides as well. Nice. And it's all beautiful. Mm. And and it's like, oh, it's because he's got this this nice camera. And it's like, no, it's because he's he's putting a hundred times more effort into every single shot. Because yeah. you can't just retake it. Yeah. You know, it's like 30 quid a pop. You know, he can't just it's not just throw away like digital. So he has to put way more effort into composing every single shot. But because he does that, they're all beautiful. And each one is worth it, and each one has value as opposed to, you know, hundred shots on, on, on a memory stick where you can just be like, nah, that one maybe, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that <laughs> could, I would love to get on topic about that uh, <laughs> just because of my, I, I know it is it is a strong opinion that I have, and I wouldn't say that it's fact. I would say that it's provable. Mm-hmm. If you want me to prove it, I could. But uh, I've done enough production in the past, and uh, the people that I've worked for that I've learned best from or, or learn the best techniques or workflow efficiency, you know, even production value in general. Those are the folks that don't want you to show up. When I, when I worked out in Vegas, if I showed up yeah. with an hour's worth of footage for a three minute piece on something that I was covered, covering my production director would have told me to like, go do it again, <laughs> like go do it again. Or you have to spend the next hour doing a pre edit before you even show me anything. Yeah. And it couldn't be edited. It just had to be me getting rid of clips. Yeah. And it was all about increasing efficiency. When I was working for a production team that needed content produced relatively regularly. Um, now, you know, a lot of us are doing the YouTube thing and I, I know plenty of people and this is, no offense meant to who you probably think, but cause I, I film for him. So I know <laughs> I'm controlling those shots, but I, I know plenty of people in the space that, you know, they might run three or four cameras and just have hundreds and hundreds of gigs of footage. And like, Oh, you know, now I got to sit and edit for a week to get yeah, this yeah. footage out. And you're like, well, 
you spend so much time thinking about the project you're working on and you if you spent half that amount of time thinking of what you were filming or how you were composing it or something it's not about turning everybody into a cinematographer it's more about you know you're buying tools to increase efficiency for your workflow why aren't you treating like the the video production like a work tool if you are actively trying to put visuals onto youtube that should be an efficiency thing yeah and whether or not it's the prideful stuff getting in the way or the complacency and like this is just how i make videos well okay they'll they'll look like that forever then yeah they could be better but if you're not taking the opportunity to learn that it took you seven nights of editing to get that video out that you really are like why did that take seven nights i should have been done in a day but that's, well, the, that's the contradiction of of like efficiency is that unless you eradicate all the sort of um the the, the false economies yeah you're not being efficient at all so you know you, you have to invest a little bit of time in order to save time in the long run. But you, if you're trying to be so fucking efficient that you can't even invest that little bit of time, it's, you, you're, just, you're just kidding yourself. It's like, oh, oh if, if I get it done in five minutes, you know, it won't cost me an extra minute, but actually, you know, you're going to save hours in the long run. Let's, there's a bell curve there. Yeah. There's a bell curve in the production where you could shoot high and tight. You know, I always, yeah. I always say, like Steve, I always say, shoot, shoot tight, edit light. And that works to a degree, but it's a, it's a bell curve. Like there is a certain moment where you're too efficient mm. and it cuts down on things it, it would be the same thing with materials you know raz you're looking at off cuts and things that you can help increase efficiency that's not necessarily because you don't want to do the work it's more like you know what could get done to help you with the efficiency but then there's still follow through on your end if it was all about getting everything pre-produced and you're really just kind of knocking some things together and delivering it to a client not only is your heart not in it but i guarantee you that efficiency is going to end up hindering the overall quality of the project oh yeah yeah definitely because i can never compete with anyone on efficiency or price but i can compete on service and uniqueness and handmade absolutely so um me getting pre-cut blanks of for example hard hooks where they just split and there's a hole in the middle and all i do is draw the final temper of the points and bend them that will still leave them looking unique enough, especially with the bending of hearts, which is just a dick in itself to get it right. <laughs> uh, but uh, the counterpoint would be, you know, uh, I heard that went, uh, with the um, anchor openers I made a while ago that I sent to a maritime museum. And people there commented that they look too alike to seem handmade. Because uh, in that case, I didn't do it so well, or I did actually end too much on the computer and too little of it to handle. Yeah. But that's the thing is, you can only you can only know that after doing it. That's, yeah, that's that's the thing. That's that's the 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 beauty and the annoyance of of hindsight is the fact that you you can only learn these things afterwards. That's mm. yeah. That that's the whole thing with with it is is it's. <laughs> you have to invest that time in those mistakes to be able to get the reward of that knowledge and that experience. Yeah. So when I heard that, I basically went to the computer and I edited the vector file to hopefully account for those changes and hopefully make them look more unique when they're finished without costing me too much extra time. Mm-hmm. But it's always a constant battle of feedback and improvement <laughs> and trying to make things better without losing the uniqueness that I actually sell. Right. Call call it the uh, the amount of fly time that I've been dealing with, but this is just bringing up images of <laughs> the Wright brothers. Where if you're doing a project for yourself for the first time, where these guys are like, "We're gonna we're gonna make a plane fly," there is no <laughs> hindsight other than we've seen inventions that don't work, and ours doesn't look like that. But when you when you're doing it for yourself and you're approaching a new project that you've never done before, then it's difficult. Yeah. You know, you want you want to have learned. Yeah from prior experiences or you want that translation between um, like Al was talking about last week or the week before you want to be able to translate the skills that you have from other materials, other projects into this. And you, you have these expectations that they will. And then when it doesn't happen, it, it feels like there is no hindsight payoff of like, well, I couldn't think of anything before. There was nothing for me to be able to base this, approach on so that becomes your new marker and sometimes it takes that first 
failure to you gotta have a you gotta have a starting point for there to be hindsight to begin with. I mean that's a really fucking good point, and especially with something like um aviation or like uh space travel. Yeah. Like, oh shit, we didn't think about that. And <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the, now they're a hundred thousand miles away. Yeah. No, but there there is actually a theory called black box thinking. Um and it's a really powerful tool that basically the aviation industry has been built on in that they actually they're the one industry that does learn from its mistakes mm. um, and literally takes black boxes, understand what went wrong, improve the industry, go back, make the changes, you know, money allowing. Um, but nobody else does it that way. So the automotive industry doesn't do it that way. Um, the healthcare industry doesn't do it that way. You know, they don't learn from um, deaths in hospitals and go back and change the mistakes. They just go, oh, it wasn't our fault. <laughs> Whereas, literally, the you know the in the aviation industry, it's the aviation industry's fault if something goes wrong. It's yeah. either the pilots that are using the equipment, or it's the equipment. You know, rarely is it an act of God that brings down an airplane. Um, so, black box thinking is a really, really powerful tool in terms of it's literally the the manifestation of hindsight. But this is this is harking back to what you were talking about earlier, where you need you personally want yeah. to do a better job of recording those things. Yeah. And so that, that, that is a fucking bo- I want, box. I want, I want an owl box, a green box. <laughs> and I can learn from my mistakes. Mm, I do a black heart box. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys got? Keep it going. An iron box. <laughs> but surely that's uh, like that, um, that, that green box is, yeah, whether, whether it's a, a diary or a notepad or even like, no, but the, the thing about the thing about a black box is it's recording everything. So it's not, it's recording the things that you don't expect to be the problem. Me, me trying to evaluate myself is subjective, and yeah. it's, it's like um, the Heisenberg principle. Like I can't, I can't evaluate myself without affecting it. Whereas a black box is literally just recorded data. It can be anything. It can be barometric. It can be temperature. It can yeah. be anything. And, and um, isn't the black box all this orange? Yes. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> I only know that from playing Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah. Actually, on that point, Rasmus, I wanted to ask you about your double life in gaming. Um, because I, I think right? okay. not, only, not only do we want to know about it, because it's interesting, um, but gaming is something where hindsight is, you know, massively apparent because you either win or you lose, you know, and then you can always look back and go, oh, if only I'd have taken that route or invested in those troops or something or, you know, uh, you know, not use that power up. I think gaming is something where I always, you always at the end, if you, if you don't win, you're like, ah, oh, where did I go wrong? What did I do? You know, can I trace, my, trace back my steps? And even to the fact of like a game save in itself is like giving you another chance mm-hmm. and going back and having another go. It's like, well, I've learned, I'm going to learn from my mistakes this time, obviously. Yeah, I can't make that jump. <laughs> don't but don't upgrade your boots immediately, <laughs> right? That, that's also an interesting choice. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's the, the benefit of gaming though, and games is that not only can you easily record yourself and just look at an overall picture, mm. but you can also simply just play another game and try the other thing. Yeah, and given enough games and enough iteration of opponents then you can suddenly account for almost anything that can happen and have a reasonable view of what will happen if you try the different things yeah be honest like how many champ how many champions are there in league of legends right now uh i believe 140 or 142 okay so 142 champions i'm gonna go off off topic just between (laughs) me and rasmus here but i'm gonna try and bring this up as as an example of like knowledge of what seems like an infinite amount of stuff and you know to actually put that together based on patterns and and recognition and like kind of taking your own data in so 142 champs there are uh five players per team Mm -hmm. so you have 10 people have they can be an insane amount of combination but no no two can be the same um items there's probably what a hundred 50 items in the game oh i have no idea but it, yeah it, they, it, they, it, actually no. they change that all the time as well yeah and, trinkets and upgrades to boots that are also yeah. moved <laughs> so, and then there's yeah. there's like uh you gotta Talent. make gold while you play the game and then you gotta figure out where you're spending the gold first are you going for damage versus defense and doing all these things 
And so not a single game in the time that I've played it has been the same, right? And that's years, years and years and years of playing this game to keep up with my friends. And that's how we like have a night together is to play this game. Not a single game has been the same. Now I can recognize patterns and I'll, I'll, you know, Rasmus can probably vouch for himself on this, but you play it enough. I know what all 142 people do. They all have five abilities, you know, so just start adding up all of these options and maths in your head of how a game could play out. Mm. Yeah. An astronomical but, number of it's not ways that, that complicated. It's not that complicated all at once because some characters just doesn't work with others. And if you're talking in ranked or maybe not more specifically in tournaments and in the LCS and all that, then there are actually only a handful that are viable, like, at top 40 yeah, champion there's top tier yeah just just for the people listening who are going what the fuck are they talking about Rathmus, can you just give a like a, a one minute breakdown of, of of what you do in terms of league of legends oh i i have and what worked, it is <laughs> uh, well i i worked as an esports commentator for a couple of years next to being a blacksmith because it's so similar <laughs> and uh yeah no basically i've been casting league of legends and hearthstone for most part and League of Legends specifically is a game that's known for being the saltiest of all <laughs> and probably the worst community. Uh, so don't ask why I've been playing it for nearly 10 years. Uh, but the, the game basically is like um, Brett said, that you have two teams, five players each, and you try to destroy the op- opponent's base. That's basically it. And there's different ways of going about that. And there's the last six years or something, they've been landing on more or less the same strategy but the game itself changes every single week. So your strategy last week will not work in the next tournament. Never. Yeah, so pull that back into what we do you know, for a living. <laughs> you, you try and equate the two, and you just go, how many different ways are there to make it happen? And you go, even if I knew all those options, what is the brief changed? The brief. <laughs> um, I've, I've got a... a, a question i'd kind of like to put to you guys um so earlier on uh this week um me and rouse was watching a uh a championship game of uh, hearthstone and it was the last world championship uh final game final match yeah norway versus germany yeah and it it was brilliant it was really really cool to watch and there was a lot of very unexpected things uh that happened in it um but my question, especially with, with regards to the the maker community and the way other people um, do things, in your opinion, do you think that hindsight is a purely personal thing in that you can say, oh, I wish I'd done that better? Or do you think it's it, it kind of intertwines with experience in the fact that you can get secondhand experience, you can get secondhand hindsight? Um, when you know you watch someone else's video or 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 Instagram story or whatever, and go, oh fuck, yeah, that's that's obviously going to cause an issue, or that that's obviously the cause of that issue. I'm not going to do that. Or do you think that's just a um, kind of? Do you not think that's hindsight? If you get what I mean, I think that's why esports exists. <laughs> <laughs> kids want to get better at video games. They watch professionals do it yeah. so they can get better at video games and maybe yeah. make. A hundred thousand dollars a year playing a video game. I, as far as the yeah, I, th- I think um, I think it absolutely has to be not just a monologue, because otherwise there's no relevance. Like if you if you're just doing something in isolation, regardless of what you did to get to that point, if nobody else is involved, it's irrelevant. Yeah, you know, Schrodinger's twat again. <laughs> like if, if you're just being a twat on your own. It doesn't matter whether you fucked up or whether you started again or whether you wasted time or whether you wasted materials. If the thing that comes out at the end is the thing that comes out at the end, it doesn't really matter. Um, unless you're having a conversation with somebody else or you're going, give me some advice. How can I do this better? How do you do it? You know, take a look at what I did. Can you spot where I was fucking up? You know where I was going wrong? Um, or, you know, even just showing someone, showing someone something and asking them to evaluate it and, and, and asking their opinion. It's back to the humility thing. If they just release the film without releasing the trailer and without reading any comments and just ignoring everything, la, 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 it's going to be great, la, 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 it would absolutely bomb. So the yeah. fact that they've they've made it into a dialogue and they've made it into a, a, a healthy discussion 
absolutely helps you. But it ultimately it is your site. That's you know that's the point. It's you looking back. It's not yeah. other people looking back. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it has to be informed by the people. I think. No, I think training yourself to interpret things correctly and not get defensive. Like it was well, that's the problem. Earlier, it's, right? it's it's it, well. It, I think 90% of fucking online comments are just interpret the wrong way. Yeah. I think people yeah. are trying to be helpful. I think people are trying to be constructive. Yeah. They're just either English isn't their first language. Mm-hmm. So what they've written just looks incredibly German and like just telling you off. Yeah. It's like, no, I didn't mean that to be telling you off. I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm telling you, I mean, you know, I'm giving you facts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't want no facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need you to fuck off. Um, I don't think people try to be trolls most of the time. I think there are horrible people who yeah. sit there and troll people. Um, but I think a lot of feedback is meant to be constructive. Mm-hmm. It's just really badly worded. Mm-hmm. So it is about healthy constructive criticism and it in itself is a fucking art form. Like I know I have, I have to fucking direct people all day, every day at work. And it's fucking hard because people are sensitive and people are precious, mm-hmm. especially people in the creative industries where you're like, you're putting your heart and soul into something or it's your take on something. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, do you like this? I was like, well, yes, but, you know, and it's always that, yeah, but, that suddenly gets people's defenses up. I, and, it's, yeah. it's conditional, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe wholeheartedly that a lot of our culture has been, especially the creative side of things, has been conditioned to there's a right and a wrong. Yeah. And if you're not hitting the right, then everything is wrong. People get sensitive about it. You know, job placement's hard enough as it is, and people aren't making tons of money doing these repetitive tasks and everybody's changing the branding all the time. You don't get to have a lot of heart in these projects that only last a month because mm. it, it eats your life for a month. And then there doesn't really feel like much of a payoff at the end of the day for these creative tasks. You know, you could spend two months blacksmithing and making a beautiful railing and doing all of this joinery and, and just, just killing the project. But you know, six months down the line, Unless that thing leads to more jobs that get you more money, it, it effectively feels like a like a drop in the water. Yeah. And so conditioning yourself to either interpret the stuff from the people as constructive criticism or build upon it and try and better your own situation or condition the person that's giving you that. Yeah. And, well, and the, try but, and, but in, in, in our scenario of whatever, YouTube, the internet, fucking um, movie trailers... You can't condition seven billion people. No, absolutely so there's not. absolutely it only it's only going to be one way, isn't it? This 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 fix, and that's to maybe think that you look at things in a different way. If somebody posts a comment, it's being hopeful. Yeah, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. It's the reason I joke around with a lot of the trolley people that <laughs> try and hit me, and and half the time it's it's turned oh, out. Oh no, be, I wasn't. I was only messing. Oh, no, I meant the thing. All yeah. oh, right, but it's oh, well, totally you say fun. that in your first message, right? Yeah. I would rather I would rather attempt to to shift things yeah. than to become complacent because yeah. complacency is not very. But, but oh, it's so close. You nearly got away with it. But that, but that's that's the that's the way to a healthy future, though. Is if we if if that is the dialogue and that is the conversation. If we can go, I will listen to you. You're the one buying the fucking movie ticket. I'm going to listen to you. Yeah, they're watching our videos. Yeah. If you're talking about it from the YouTube capacity, even if they're being salty about it, they they're know, giving they're up their time. The yeah, I try. I try to approach everything with being. I think constructive criticism is something that I will constantly strive for. Mm. And it's, I really, really enjoyed it in illustration school. I used to do mm-hmm. days. My, like my teacher would just go, have at it because no one hates you after you berate their yeah. work. Whereas he would go around and it was because I was a peer mostly. It didn't have anything to do with whether I was better than him or not, which was clearly, you know, I was not as good as he was. He had a lot more talent and a lot more knowledge at that point. But it was helpful when you can break somebody down in a very constructive way and they rebuild something better in the end because their interpretation is you're not attacking them. And your interpretation is I'm not attacking you. You have to meet on that middle ground to understand that it's, it's a building process and you're trying to better the situation. Yes. 7 billion people aren't going to listen to that kind of shit on the internet. (laughs) But we're here trying. Yeah. And I think that's all we we can do is, is kind of try and try and put that, to that sort of attitude out there and and try and explain to people that that's oh, sorry not try and explain to people in like a patronizing sense but when like you said like Brett said when when you come across these people just just try try and see it from their point of view try and share that experience and um 
and be more spiffing. So, Brett first. Brett, go. Next quick. Okay. I am spiffing an 11-year-old maker from Salt Lake City. Her name is Lucy. She's fantastic. And she makes scrunchies, <laughs> which I've been wearing for a couple of months now since I got them. I thought scrunchies, scrunchies were a fad. <laughs> They're actually amazing for long hair. <laughs> for sakes. Yeah. But here's here's the thing. I'm spiffing scrunchies. I'm spiffing the fact that Lucy is, she has an Etsy store and she's selling out pretty regularly. Her parents are helping her out with it and kind of fostering the creativity of it. She's got an Instagram page that's hilarious because she's just an adorable coop ball of a little girl. Um, kind of made me look at it as, you know, what if, what if you were 11 years old and had the wherewithal to say, I want to start making something and something is, something is what could be perceived as insignificant as scrunchies, but what she's learning out of that in terms of running a business or starting a business, making things for a living or, or for some extra, you know, popsicle money, whatever it is, that's pretty spiffing in my mind she's making cool stuff and yeah. she's got her own little brand going on she's 11 years old it's super awesome so it's love knots by lucy on etsy and instagram nice she's super nice cool good shout where uh, she's earlier in life <laughs> no have long hair have long hair. <laughs> uh so bras that means rasmus is next yeah i like to spiff Matt Jenkins of Cloverdale Forge on Instagram. Uh, basically, just good old Smith. But most importantly, he just recently published uh, photographs of a gate he made with the exact same joinery of a hundred-year-old gate I took a picture of in Drabak back nice. home in Norway. So it just caught my eye. <laughs> and his, his work is really good, and yeah. I like watching his stuff. So, yes, Cloverdale Forge on Instagram. Very yeah. Woohoo! Very, very good account. Um, really interesting guy. Um, was actually quite an inspiration when I first started out. So I wholeheartedly support that spiff. Uh, Al. Yeah, I'm going to spiff someone that I, th- I don't think we have spiffed, but we should have done mm-hmm. a long time ago. With hindsight, we should have spiffed him a long time ago. No. Um, and actually, in hindsight, I should have been watching him a long time ago because when I, when I first saw one of his um videos i just thought it was like a gimmick and it was a joke and it was like oh yeah nice uh, um but electro, electro boom ah oh, yes um because i think i watched one of, it was like classic rick and morty like i put the first episode of rick and morty on and it was all like puke and fart jokes and i was like this is terrible i don't want to watch this show like but in hindsight it was one of the greatest cartoons ever um but it's the same with this and it was just all like things were exploding in the smoke and i was like oh, all right yeah it's not really for me um but actually, in hindsight, he was fucking great, and the whole show is great, and every every episode he does is fantastic, and he's always manage. He's finding that perfect balance of like efficiency. I, sometimes, yeah. literally, when he's talking about like energy efficiency and power consumption yeah. and stuff. Um, so he's he's an electronic engineer, um, and his whole channel is about basically electricity uh, and it's in its various forms. Um, how some appliances use it, um, how some are worse than others. Um, how some things are a scam. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of kind of eye-opening and a lot of social commentary in it, even though the, the premise of the show is just talking about electronics. He's actually really sort of cleverly, um, yeah, talking about the world we live in and the fact that electronics are so heavily relied on. Um, he's he's given a really good insight. But he's he, I think he's that, that, that sort of sweet spot that we're talking about in terms of being able to understand and evaluate something to be to save time in the future and to save money in the future. You know, a lot of the things he's doing is about sort of saving costs and like, this is not more expensive than this. So why are you doing, you know, why are we, why are we putting money into this? Why are we wasting time with this? Um, you know, he, he breaks down a lot of things that are initiatives. Um, so like 
ways that people actually say this could be a really great way you know somebody might be preaching about a new green technology but actually it's just not efficient at all i think yeah. he ripped down something about like um there was i think there was solar roadways or something yeah. and he basically just did all the maths and just destroyed it and he's like just don't bother it's not worth it you know sounds like a great idea on paper but if you can actually be bothered to put it in you'll save yourself a lot of time in the long run um but yes yeah, great show very entertaining um electro boom go watch it if you don't already i'm sure you do because he has like a billion subscribers but I didn't, and I wish someone had told me. Um, you know how every time I message you, I'm like, oh, this is a really good channel, and you say, I spiffed them six months ago. I spiffed Electro Broom six months ago. There you go. <laughs> In hindsight, I should listen to you more. Yeah. And I should, yeah. Uh, also, in hindsight, uh, I'm going to spiff someone that I met at Maker Central last year and uh, only really started following um along properly um recently um because he ended up joining into a group chat and that is matt from matt makes mess yay matt yay matt uh yeah he's uh he's a bit of a twat but he is a bit of a twat yeah but he's, he, he's he's nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> for a ball guy he's all right <laughs> um but yeah no he's uh he makes some really cool stuff he um, you know what? Just go check him out. I, I don't even <laughs> want to talk about him. If, I've given him enough airtime as it is. Um, although Tim's now going to be really upset we didn't talk about him. So well, we talk about Tim too much. Yeah, fuck Tim. In fact, that should be his name, Tim Too Much. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Too Much from Turdworks. Uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> that's that's all she wrote. Uh, do we have any other business? No, no. No? By the time you hear this, if you're not going to make a central, it's too late. It's not. You can still come. Okay. I think. Wait, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go, in which case... Uh, See you there. What? See you there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going yeah. to do that when we said bye. So, bye. Oh. No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Where can we find you, Rasmus? Oh, um, basically, Rasmus Lohan everywhere. Yeah, R A S M U S L O E N at all the mostly social places. Nice, perfect, awesome. And what? Where would we find you if we wanted to watch some hardcore esports and you commentating on them? Uh, then you have to wait for next year's Easter, at least that I'm certain of. But I might be appearing on national television. Yeah, at some okay. point. That's, that's Norwegian. That's yeah, Norwegian. yeah, Norwegian. Yeah. It's, national, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's national in Norwegian. <laughs> uh, can Steve put some links of any uh, YouTube videos of any of your games that you've commented on? Because that would be good fun. Yeah, do the last one that he did where the uh, feed from the actual game wasn't working for 20 minutes. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's a fun one. <laughs> or, or even better, take when I cast it Rocket League, which I have never played. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll chuck some of that in the show notes as well then. Um, cool. Uh, if you want to find us, you can find me at Moonshine Metaworks. You can find Brett at Skull and Spade 13. And you can find Al at Al's Hack Shack. Al's Patch Hat! Yes. Uh, <laughs> those eyebrows. Uh, if you want to get hold of us as a group, you can find us at fwtpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at Fools with Tools. Well, not at, but you know what I mean. Uh, join the group. There's lots of good people in there. Uh, that's it. We love you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Oh, we had a nice harmony going on there.